Good morning, church. It is good to be with you, whether you are here in the sanctuary, whether you're joining us online, whether you're listening on the radio this morning through KTCU, please know that wherever you are, wherever you are physically, wherever you are emotionally, wherever you are spiritually, wherever you are on your spiritual path, know that you are welcome here. It is good for us to be together in the presence of God and in the presence of one another, even through the technology that unites us and brings us together when we can't. As Renee mentioned during the announcements, uh, we are continuing a series uh, that we're calling Holy Interruptions, and what we're doing is over these six weeks, we're looking at several stories in which God over and over and over again interrupts the lives of normal, ordinary people, people like you and me, <clears throat> and calls them into a life of service that they probably never would have imagined on their own, and how that same God calls us, each of us, to bring hope and healing to this world, to partner with God to bring about heaven, as we just prayed, heaven here on earth. This morning, we're looking at the story of Samuel, who was a boy that grows up essentially in, in two different homes. There's the home of his loving mother, Hannah, and Eli, uh, the priest, is the other home in which he grows up, a temple there. Samuel is the long-awaited, desperately longed-for child born to his parents, Hannah and Elkanah. And having been dedicated to the service of the Lord from a very young age, he is also raised in this temple by the priest Eli. And as the story opens, the tribal nation of Israel is in a bit of crisis, both internally and externally. Internally, Eli, who is the high priest at a place called Shiloh, he's essentially judge over Israel, but yet he's getting, he's getting old. And his two sons were set to inherit his role, but yet we learned from the story they are corrupt and immoral, and as we hear, God is not happy about this transition. And externally, Israel's neighbor, the Philistines and the Amalekites, uh, they are constantly launching attacks on them. And the people of Israel are beginning to feel a little spiritually barren, if you will, and continuously provoked by their enemies. But what we will discover, though, is that God hears and responds not only to the, to, to the collective cry of the people, but, but also to those individuals who feel barren and provoked by enemies that are much closer to home. And so the question on everyone's mind at that time was, who will God call and send to lead Israel through this difficult and transitional time? How will God respond to the, to the cries of the people for strong leadership and also to the cries of this one grieving woman? And in the text you're about to hear, we get an answer. So I invite you to listen to this word from 1 Samuel. First Samuel 3, verses 1 through 11. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At this time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, 
Samuel. And he said, here I am, and ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. The word of the Lord for the people of God. I have always loved the story of Samuel. This young boy, it's, it's one of those tender, endearing stories in the Bible, this child who with ears that are unattuned to listening to the holy and to the sacred, to the divine, needs guidance from one who is familiar, who is seasoned in discerning and understanding the word of God. This mentor who helps tap the gifts that God has planted within him, guiding him to lead God's chosen people. You know, we're probably all familiar with the saying that it takes a village to raise a child, but, but how many of us know the, the sister proverb that goes with it, a child belongs not to one parent or home. Both sayings, born out of Africa, essentially say that, that it takes a community of people. It takes several people surrounding a child with a shared vision for those children to experience the wholeness that God intends for us, for them to, to grow into a safe and healthy environment. That's what we say here, isn't it, when we dedicate babies. We pledge our support to the parents. We pledge our support to the child. We are promising that we will love that child beyond the reach of their parents, that, that we are promising that we will be as role models. We will set an example for what it means to be a person of faith. The truth is, is that most of us have been influenced not just by loving parents, but somewhere along the way there has been a mentor, a teacher, a, an extended family member who intentionally guided our development in a myriad of ways. There was a study that came out a number of years ago when I was in seminary that talked about how to raise children into what they referred to as an MCA, a mature Christian adult. Sounds very technical to me. 
But they looked at all sorts of different things. Now, what would lead a child to become a mature Christian adult? And, and do you know what the two most important factors were? The two most important factors in a child becoming a mature Christian adult is whether they, as a family, prayed before meals and whether or not they had a connection, a relationship with someone other than their parents who was a mature Christian adult that modeled for them what it means to be a person of faith. That's it. Just those two things. Influential in helping us to become mature Christians. When I was a child, the church in which I was raised was just that for me. I was incredibly blessed to be raised within a, a loving church home in Northern California that, that shaped me, that loved me, that empowered me, that showed me that, that, that I had not just the ability but also the responsibility to make the world a better place. That I had gifts, but yet these gifts were not of my own making, but, but they came from God and they, they shouldn't be squandered, but instead they should be developed and nurtured so that they and I could reach our fullest potential. Which is why it was such an incredible blessing for me to be able to go back in my mid-30s, to be able to serve as the pastor of my home church, to be able to care for them in the way that they had cared for me, to be able to, to help shape them in the way that they had shaped me. It's a fascinating time in my life, those 12 years in ministry. In those 12 years, I did the memorial services, I think, of three of my elementary school teachers, my Boy Scout leader, my youth group sponsors and mentors, and many others that were influential in shaping me and helping me become a person of faith. You see, we all have gifts already inside of us, each of us, every single one of us. Those gifts help make us who we are. And we need people around us to help us recognize those, to, to be able to see what they were and to, to help us grow them, to help us become the people that God created us to be. Samuel had two of those people, his mother Hannah and Eli, the high priest. And the story goes that Hannah loved to travel with her husband Elkanah to Shiloh every year to make their annual sacrifices to God. It was sort of their annual giving campaign, if you will. And she loved going to Shiloh because it was there that she felt the closest to God. She'd go into the temple, and, and there, as, as you heard a moment ago, the, the Ark of the Covenant was housed, but also there at the temple in Shiloh was where the stone tablets of the 12, excuse me, of the 10 commandments that had been given to Moses, for that was holy ground for Hannah. She loved to be in that space. But there was a part of the trip that she didn't like, and that was when Elkanah's other wife, Panina, would mock and provoke her for being childless. Much like Abram and Sarai that we met last week, she had no children. And, and again, in that culture, in that culture, being barren made a woman irrelevant. And with her son, with no son, a woman was left economically vulnerable when her husband died. And she would oftentimes be socially humiliated for her entire life. One year, though, sitting around a table, she'd had enough. And after one of those verbal jabs from Panina, she just snapped. And she got up and left from the table and ran, ran into the temple. And there she began to cry. And she poured out her soul to God and said, God, I am your servant. 
but I am miserable. Please, God, let me have a son. I promise that I will give him to you for as long as he lives. Well, Eli, the priest, happened to be sitting in the corner as she poured out this prayer and and watching all this go down, and he just sort of sends her away with a blessing, almost sort of dismissing her. Just go in peace, he said. Just stop worrying. I'm sure that the God of Israel will grant your request. Well, just that little word of assurance was enough to ease her soul, and she dried her tears, and she went home in peace, and, and she trusted God based on the words of Eli. Well, we don't have to wonder what happened next. What we discover is that this is the one that God chooses to bear and to raise the next leader of God's chosen people. She conceives and bears a son. She names him Samuel. Samuel is a word in Hebrew that means literally, I asked God for him. There's a Presbyterian minister by the name of Edmund MacDonald and he said a number of years ago, he said, he said when, a God, when God wants an important thing done in this world, when God wants a wrong righted, that God goes about it in a very singular way. He doesn't release thunderbolts to stir up earthquakes. God simply has a tiny baby be born, perhaps of a very humble home, perhaps a very humble mother. And God puts the idea or the purpose into the mother's heart, and she puts it in the baby's mind. And then, he says, God waits. God simply waits. The great events of the world, he says, are not battles or elections or earthquakes or thunderbolts. The great events are babies. For each child comes with a message that God is not yet discouraged with humanity, but is still expecting goodwill to become incarnate in every human life. And we see that. We see that here in the story of Samuel and Hannah. Well, he's born. And Hannah makes good on her promise to give Samuel to God. And when he's old enough, She takes him back to Shiloh, back to the temple, and places him in Eli's care. Samuel now has two homes. He's got a new father figure. He's got a new mentor. He's got a new village, if you will. And then God waited. God waited, and while God waited, Eli shaped him and empowered him and and showed him that he had gifts and that those gifts were not of his own making, but, but they came from God and his responsibility. He should not squander those gifts, but should develop them and nurture them to their fullest potential. My hope and my prayer is that you have had someone like that in your life that told you that you had gifts, that told you that you are worthy, that you are valuable, that you are a part of what God is doing in this world. And if not, church... I hope you'll hear me say that you are and that you do, that you are unique just like everybody else, that you are loved as if you were the only one on earth to be loved. You see, I believe, I believe, church, that, that, that telling you that, that telling you that is the reason that I was called into ministry. 
that telling you that is the reason that I have been called to be the pastor of this church, that my sole call in this place is to tell you again and again and again and to keep telling you that you are loved, that you are worthy, that you are valuable, that you are a part of what God is doing, to keep telling you that over and over again until you know it deep in your bones. You see, sometimes we hear God's voice, but we need clarity. We need encouragement from someone else to help us recognize it. And for Samuel, that, that someone is Eli. And you heard the story three times. Three times God speaks to Samuel, and three times Samuel races up and runs into the other room thinking it was Eli that was calling. He says, here I am. You called? And all three times, Eli wipes the sleep out of his eyes and says, it wasn't me. You must be hearing things, kid. Go back to bed. And with each race into Eli's room, he says the same thing. But on the third trip, Eli, Eli, who has spent his entire life serving God, tuning his ear to the sound of God's voice, begins to suspect what's going on here and says, oh, wait a minute. If it happens again, don't come here. But instead, just open yourself up and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And the fourth time that Samuel's name is called, he recognizes it as the voice of God. I have had several Elis in my life, people who have helped me perceive and discern and answer my call. And I'm wondering this morning, what are those incarnations of Eli in your life? People that have helped you along the way recognize the gifts that God placed inside of you, that has helped you discern and hear the voice of God that speaks to you, even when you don't recognize that it is indeed the voice of God. You see, I think it's filling that young Samuel's response to God's call, even when he thinks it's Eli's voice, is to say, here I am. Because here I am is the only appropriate response to a faithful person's call by God. Think about it. Abraham, when he, he thinks God is calling him to offer his only son as a sacrifice, but then at the last minute holds off and tells him, no, 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 just wait. But before that, his response was, here I am. And when Moses, when Moses was there and he, and he came across a bush that was on fire and, and he thought in that moment, ah, wait, this is more than it just looks. And so he says, here I am. Isaiah too, when God asked, whom shall I send? Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. You see the response of the faithful throughout history, the history of God's people has been the same over and over again. Do you, remember, do you remember what Mary said when she was told that she was going to bear a son and not just any son, but the son that would go on to become the one who would save the world? She said, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. You see, the only appropriate response to God's call on our life is to simply say, here I am. But yet, as we have seen over the generations, that when 
people are called by God to do specific things that sometimes it can be exciting, it can be invigorating, it can be life-giving, and sometimes it can cause our knees to knock and cause our palms to sweat. It can make us a little nervous. You see, being called by God is a little risky. Abraham found that out. The same was true for Samuel who if we continue to read later in the story, the very first thing he has to do in his ministry is to confront Eli about how awful and how corrupt his sons were, and that because of their evil ways that his family was about to be cut off from the temple forever. He has to give this horrible news to the person that had shaped him to become who he is. You see, living out our call sometimes requires us to deliver bad news to have hard conversations, to do uncomfortable things. But if our relationships and our businesses, if our churches are going to survive, let alone thrive, there need to be times when living out our call calls us to speak the truth in love, to say difficult things, to say unpopular things to those that we love and esteem the most. Think of Abraham Lincoln, who risked peace for the sake of creating a more just nation, a nation that he loved with all that he was. Think about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who risked his life in speaking out against Hitler because of his love for God's people, and stood up and says, these people, these Jewish brothers and sisters, they too are valuable, they are worthy, they are a part of what God is doing in this world. It cost him his life. Think of Rosa Parks, who took a huge risk in refusing to go to the back of the bus. Think of Martin Luther King Jr., who risked everything, who risked everything, his life, his security, his peace, his reputation, all for the sake of his people. And there is a reason that we celebrate his life this weekend. You see, all of them confronted the country that they loved with difficult words, with difficult actions, for the sake of the people that they loved, for the nation that they loved, and it cost them. And it cost them dearly. You see, sometimes saying, here I am to God's call, comes the risk, comes with the risk of having to say or do the difficult or the uncomfortable. And it can oftentimes make you unpopular. But I think of what Steve Jobs says, if you want to make everybody happy, don't be a leader. Sell ice cream, he said. Everybody, everybody loves ice cream. However, ignoring that call, saying no, means missing out, essentially, on the very purpose of your life, the very reason that God put you here the idea that was placed in your mother's mind, the reason that you are alive. I'm wondering this morning how different our world might be if people like Abraham Lincoln and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, if they would have said, you know, sounds hard. I'm good. I'm gonna sell ice cream. But on the other hand, I'm wondering this morning how different the world might be if everyone, if every single one of us heard the call 
knew that we are loved, that we have gifts, that we are worthy, that we are valuable, that we are called to be a part of what God is doing in this world? What if all of us knew that and responded to that call? Here I am. Here we are. Let it be with you, according to your word, God. Here I am.